Hello, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is Dan Bowen. Dan Bowen is an actor, dancer, singer, and is also an award-winning burlesque artist under the name Brad Puddin. He was born and raised in Empton, but now calls Toronto his home. And he happens to be my brother. So hope everyone enjoys the show, and thank you for listening. Daniel, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. So how's your tr- flight from Toronto to Edmonton? Um, it was a packed flight. So full. So, I mean, like for COVID-wise, it's kind of like, what does that mean? Masks mandatory. There was a lot of commercials and a lot of repetition of like, if you don't wear your mask, there's going to be police on the other side and you're going to have to pay money. And I was like, whoa. Like compared to like safety stuff. Like, they go do the usual, but then the point was, like, if you don't wear your mask, I was like, if the plane goes down, mask or not, what is gonna, I was like, what? what is this emphasis on, like, you're going to get fined. We will call police on you. And I was like, whoa. It's pretty sure people comply. Yeah, but it was, oh, it, was, it was probably more intense than I think I anticipated. Like, because it's everywhere at the airport already. Like, it's yeah. while you're walking. Um, it's also so quiet. Like, there's virtually, like... Well, I was like two or three terminals open, like on my section of the airport, because Toronto has like what four terminals. So it was just like only one for Vancouver and one for Edmonton. That was it. And I was like, whoa. And literally that's it. And there's like barely anything open. So there's like maybe one or two restaurants, maybe a few other things. That's what I was surprised about. The tr- that restaurants open in the airports? Yeah. Well, it's just like I thought there would be more. Thought it'd be all closed. But it's like, like the ones closest to the terminals are open. Okay. So it's like, if you're waiting, then like, yes, you can eat because food, you know, it's like one, like, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's like two and then like a little place to sort of eat if you get like a burger or something, but it's like very in and out. Like it's not only one was more loungy and there was like two people in there. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like I heard like a lot of, some airports are busy. Some airports are not. It depends where you go, what flight you're on. Yeah. Like some- I- so that's crazy. But yeah, for people who don't know you, mm-hmm. what do you do? What do I do? Okay, so uh, I guess I'm a, I'm a few different things. I do a bunch of stuff. Um, so I'm a burlesque artist known as Brad Puddin. Right. Um, Canada's Pillsbury Hall toy, messy and delicious. Sort of my tagline right now. And I'm also an actor. I'm a dancer. Going back to singing. Um, I have a degree in musical theater from uh, Sheridan university Sheridan college it was but university degree becoming a university i think um what else i also do event work my quote-unquote joe job but events is not joe because it's such a uh, like you can't really you can plan but like the things that come up you just they just happen Mm -hmm. and it's very on the fly you just gotta be on your toes you just gotta get things going 
Um, so I work at Union Station for that, which is the main station for when you get into Toronto. So if you get off the airport, there's the Up Express, takes you right to Union. Or if you're the Via Rail, so from usually Montreal, London, like all the closer places, that's where they okay. go. So the U before COVID, there was over 300,000 people a day. Come to the station. That would come in and out of the station. Over 300,000. Because in the morning, from about like 6, 6.30 till 9, it's everybody going to the offices. Like those big chime towers that you see in pictures of Toronto or in film, whatever. Like that's where all those people, but none of them live in, most of them don't live in Toronto. Most of them are like Oakville, Burlington, like the GTA. So you're literally, it is like barrage of people like, you just better know where you're going. Like the people who are lost, like, oh my God. Like it is a, when you, you can notice lost people very everything because that's how many, you, you know, people just got to go. It's like equivalent to the New York subway kind of. I guess it would be our version of it. You know, I wouldn't necessarily call it, what is it, Grand Central? Grand Central yeah. station. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't necessarily compare it to that, but it is a pretty big, big structure. I think it was done in like the 1800s, early 1900s. And it was like, they opened it with Prince Albert, I believe. Okay. He opened in like they're like Greek columns. Like they're like, I think, I think, oh, what did my boss tell me? It was like 50 tons per Jeez. column. Like, you know what I mean? These It's a, still a big, big building. Yeah. But uh, yeah, now it's basically a ghost town in COVID. It is completely ghost like. People are probably scared to go on a basically a metal tube filled with people. Yeah, and like there's a few people like, you know, especially around closer to like when Christmas was happening. Yeah, there was a little bit more traffic because people were going home or coming to back to Toronto from wherever they were going. Um, But for the most part, it's a lot of like unfortunate souls, I call that are the station now because it's like people who don't have anywhere else to go. Um, And it's interesting because like security... It's a weird thing. Like I feel like they were sort of watch over them more than it's about like monitoring or trying to like guard the place. That makes sense. So people just stay at the station and just hang out, like almost all day. So are you homeless then? Yeah, like homeless. Or? Usually, um, uh, severe mental health. Um, people uh, who are dealing with homelessness. Um, so sometimes you just see you like when I when you work a few days in a row. Just oh, we we did was one event. Sorry, I should clarify because COVID times. Um, we don't. Every wiped out all my work, so we just had like basically a boardwalk ice wall where we had to make sure all the lights and the music was running correctly. Yeah. And so people were distancing and then a big tree. So I wanted to preface that so you understand what I'm talking about. Um, so sort of you'd come in and like, you know, start the show, let the guards go. Like we had the station guards and there was specific guards just for the actual event. Um, but you would start noticing the same people. So Miss Neon Green is what I called her. She came into, she had these like, metallic silver jacket and i don't know how she got all this metallic clothing but then she's like it's all lime green accented like scarf and hat and i'm like and so at first because like it looked quite put together like especially now with like all the retro fashion and retro music coming back um into big style um i was like okay something cool but then she started yelling about witches or I don't know. Like, you know, it was one of those moments where like, what just came out of this person's mouth? And then you realize, and then you start seeing them again. And you're like, okay. And they're not dangerous people. They just have nowhere else to go. And that kind of, that kind of makes you think also like what's happening. It's like, I guess like they, they can't go to their usual places because those are full. Yeah. 
or maybe they lost it or maybe those are new like you we don't know because there's like um they talk to a lot of the security guards who do work night shifts they would say that like there have been a lot of people that you don't expect to become homeless over this time yeah and you know you don't know so some of those people could be very new in that sense which is also so bleak to well, think about well there has been i, I sat down with uh, i believe he's the ex- executive director of the mustard seat of edmonton um dean kirby white and he said um, they did a like a survey of a certain group grouping of people at a thing it was the kingsman center or some center that had homeless people at mm-hmm. the beginning of covid and he said the beginning of covid during the initial lockdown the people they um, surveyed, there was a 14% increase of homelessness. Wow. Just at the beginning. So now it's, what, a year later? So I think it's definitely increased. Wow. Especially with running out and people just not able to pay their bills. And, like, second lockdown, second wave, probably, like, if you had any hope, it could have just... And then restaurants or don't make that much profit anyway. So there's going to be a ton of restaurants that are closing down. So a lot of businesses, people are going under. So it's mm-hmm. potentially, like, the next depression almost potentially mm-hmm. or what's gonna happen and in toronto like there's already so many things being knocked out like even before covid there was uh you notice certain parts of the city would start just like all these really cute slash you know like one of a kind kind of shops would start closing like hey, what's going on and all of a sudden these like condos would start going up and like oh and then what replaces them is like a freshie or an AMW or a metro another metro grocery store or it's the same things or maybe they switched out into McDonald's or maybe it's a Starbucks or right like it's just but none of those are like like a mom and pop yeah right so these like very you know like um for like the cultural hubs I would say like there's Little Italy and then there's Greek Town there's like all these little pockets and you're sort of like you're replacing. Like, yeah, things are hard and, like, you got to close down and people, you know, somebody has to fill up this big shore. But, like, you're replacing, like, a lot of culture with just the same sort of metropolitan sort of gentrified kind of buildings look look similar. Very city, you know, but still you're kind of like, why? And it's frustrating because you don't, you... There's so many places in Toronto, but there's so many of them have closed down because of COVID. Yeah. And For no so, reason either. Mm-hmm, just and like because also like Toronto's a very different city than Edmonton in that in that regard too. I would say Toronto's a lot more cutthroat. It's a little bit more doggy dog out there. So some of those landlords nasty. I imagine hundred percent. Just but during mm-hmm. then they have like the they couldn't ask for rent for a certain period of time. There was a certain thing where, yeah, for the first, I think it was March or April, not maybe not in the mar- uh, March, but maybe by May-ish, there was a few months where you could sort of, like, there was a very ambiguous time where, like, a lot of landlords were just not expecting to get it, and then some people weren't paying. Um, there was whole groups, so, like, whole people, like, in whole buildings, would, and that, which is also kind of like, whoa, when you think about it, like, in those condos or those apartment buildings, a lot of people don't, like, you're just going about your day. It's a busy city. You just go, 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 right? So then all of a sudden, imagine how many floors of people are starting to talk on one Facebook group and saying, hey, let's not pay rent this month because this is bullshit. So some people got away with it by pure because it was like almost mutiny or like, I wouldn't say mutiny quite because that's a whole other it's a different definition. But you know what I mean? When it's sort of uh, unanimous that way, like what the landlord, what could the landlord do, right? Mm. 
And I don't think it went on for a very long time, these things. I think it was for the, you know, there was that one specific month where everyone was like, what is happening? Yeah, I think the initial month or whatever, when no one could work. Yeah, so I think there was like that period. Um, I, I was lucky with my landlord. Um, they allowed us to cut our rent um, down by, let's see, a third. Or they, they were expecting us to go lower, but we already had a price in mind. So then we only had to make up a difference of, I think, 700 total because it was like 2100 a month. So by half. Well, to rent an apartment? Um, it's a two-bedroom. Two-bedroom. It's not too bad. But then I looked at Edmonton. I would look at, sometimes I looked at Edmonton listings just for fun. And this was, this was about a year ago. So when I was looking for this new place. Yeah, so a like nice place. 2100. Oh, yeah. It would be very nice in Edmonton for that. And it would probably be bigger than 2000. Well, then you get to rent a home. You can get a, exactly. You can get a um, three-bedroom townhouse in Edmonton to rent for 1200 And I was like, excuse me. I'm like, I'm like, it's in quite a nice space I'm paying for the 2100 But it's also just like, what? You can get a whole home for half that in Edmonton? So, well, I think the reason why is uh, well, Toronto is very much like New York, where it's a dense population, and I think I think there's still in Ontario more room to develop. But in regards to Toronto, it's not many places they can spread out and put buildings, so the space is more valuable. Like New York, like they can't build new land and put new homes on. It's like this is a finite space they have, so of course the values can go up, 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 and pretty soon it's going to be like I think there's a place in China, I think it's Singapore, maybe Beijing, where they have these multi-million dollar apartments but no one lives in them because no one can afford them. Whoa. So that's kind of be like New York and Toronto. Wild. Well, Toronto, the, the, the weird thing is that certain places in Toronto actually lowered rent because, and some even even um, in terms of selling prices, uh, but for rent, uh, because I know like, like I had a, uh, friends there, a couple, and they got in for like a one bedroom. It still sounds a lot of money. So it is still a lot of money. I think for like 1600 down from like 2000 So you think, because what started happening too is like a lot of artists live in Toronto. So Toronto's made up, um, especially in a lot of these condo buildings that are not necessarily in the ritzy areas, but like for good chunks of Toronto, they don't, we're, we're not from there. You got people from Newfoundland, you got people from BC, you got people, you got people all over Canada, some from the States. You got people from all over in Toronto. So when that happened, a lot of art folks just like. Are they going to ever return? Because I know in New York, they had a, like a mass exodus of artists. Yeah, it's, we, it's, it's right now it's indefinite. Nobody knows. Nobody knows if they're returning. Mm. And there's, I wouldn't say it's a theory, but like it's sort of one of those things where like. I think people are finding ways to become successful in, play, in like their home places. Or other places. As well, or other places or their opportunities are, are greater there. And that makes sense. Like if, you know, it mm. is. It's been a very difficult time not coming home, you know, sticking it out there. Um, but that's also more of my style is, you know, I'm not one to like zip back home necessarily. I'm more like, hey, well, I'm here. I made these choices. Let's go. You know, I'm really yeah. kind of. Plus, I think you had work and so you never saw work and whatnot. So I had some really work. It. it was yeah. very up and down. Like, again, events work. It's all, it was all contract stuff. So it's, you know, samplings, right? So you depended on the people in the station, 300,000 people to come in and out all the time, you know, samples, um, or just an event that could show off something like there was like Polestar. It's a car from, oh, where was it? Sweden, somewhere like that. But Polestar, all of us like, why was it? But anyway, um, Polestar, Polestar 2, I think. And they did this whole just showcase of him. The car was in there and all. Like, so sometimes it's a big hullabaloo. 
or like how how I how I got to work at Union Station was I did a Louis Vuitton time capsule. So basically, Louis Vuitton. I want to think where does it go? Hong Kong, L.A. They might have done New York, and then they did Toronto. Whereas basically, they like, would build this mini museum in the middle of wherever, and then it showcased like some like un- never before seen bags and things like that. So like one bag from like eighteen. 18- 70 like one of the first ones right and then you kind of okay. go through the history and this is very futuristic kind of museum but like very old bag so it was very like you know sort of future past kind of vibed and then then it started showcasing their fashion because you know louis vuitton was always a bag company that's how he started he was a bag maker luggage and stuff like yeah. that and they started working for very high level people because of his craftsmanship was so so on point and then you know that's how they got became a big fashion brand, and then they start, and then they had this whole room is like they showed their fashion show, but the entire room was a screen, basically. If you if you can imagine, yeah. That. So it's the whole thing is, and they're like doing this fashion show thing, and it's like it was it was pretty cool, but like it was. So that was your first event. That was my first event. I wasn't with Union yet, but because of that event, it spanned like two months, two and a half months. So load in the running of the event and the loadout. Um, so that involves like. Yeah, I did the overnight shifts, so 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. I did two weeks of 20-hour days putting that thing up. Um, wow. Because mm, it was um, choices. <laughs> choices. So I, I had to do the 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. And then I had rehearsals in the morning for a show that I was in. And then I also was moving in the middle of it. So I had to pack and do all that. So that was a very long two weeks. I think the last day I was up for like 40 hours. Because I had to do a 10, 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. And then it was tech. So then you're at the venue. You're doing the entire thing. Show, show top to bottom music. You do res, dress rehearsal costuming. And then we performed that night. So probably got like an hour and a half. And then did the show. Shoved food in my mouth. Drank some water. And then went back to work. And then worked till I think 10.30. And by the time I got home, it was like 11.30 noon. So it was 40 hours later. I don't, I don't, that's not the correct number i said i don't know what the number is but that's still a long time to not sleep and then i think i had five hours of sleep before i had to get ready for the show again jeez so between acting <laughs> so between acting and burlesque uh, what's your main focus right now what's your what are your plans or your goals ah uh, for burlesque specifically it's almost as if it's like i think burlesque is a certain expression Versus like my career focus. Um, so that's very much going to be alive. I think I have a new direction I want to go with it. Um, and so when I get back to Toronto, that's sort of the next phase is to like make it happen. So I'm planning a lot here and then start practicing some of the new looks and all the what I want for costuming because that could be a, a while to build those things. And then, so that's that. But then f- I th- acting is going to be a focus for sure. Um, going back, they had, there's a lot. Just a lot more money in it, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, that's like when I really think about it, my original passion does involve acting, seeing acting, dancing, right? There's a very, there's something I love about doing all three. Not necessarily musical theater, just because I'm not as wholesome in that way. I could do it. But like a Bob Fosse show or um, Stephen Sondheim. Like one of those shows where it's more off the cuff, more unique, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, but yeah, definitely acting. And then I'm also like writing music. So potentially a composer? 
lyricist right now. I'm not the best at actually the actual music part. It's the words parts. I'm very, I can, if something hits me, like I wrote something in 10 minutes once just because I was like, oh, this sounds fun. And whether or not it like comes to anything, like my next step is just want to put beats to things and see how that happens Um, because I'm really loving where music is right now. And I've always, you know, we grew up together and I started remembering that I would stay up late and I would be listening to music and like constantly listening to the same songs and figuring out like imagining music videos for it or like staging or, you know, just always doing something with it. And I was like, oh, that would be cool to see how I bring that back now because that's essentially what got me to musical theater, which is what led me to burlesque, right? Like they all connect. So I'm like, where does that go? Um, and then because I, I do some online courses, Corsa, Corsia, I always get the name wrong. Oh, but that's where the Indigenous Canada history course is from the U of A. If anybody's interested in that, definitely recommend. It's free to take. Okay. Um, 12 weeks, I think. And you can get it as fast, you can get it done as fast as you want. But it's basically like maybe two hours of work per week to finish it. And that's just watching the videos, reading the notes. And, then and what is the course exactly? It says uh, it's Indigenous History of Canada or Indigenous Canada History. I forget the correct which way they put it um but it's basically an entire history of indigenous folks in canada and it's like just like the tip of the iceberg in terms of like the amount of different tribes and cultures they have within what we what we're talking about indigenous peoples like that is like hundreds and thousands of different groups that over time were you know, eliminated or homogenized just because of what was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it, and it shows it almost very neutrally. Like, it doesn't necessarily go like, these are the evil people, blah, blah, blah. Like, these are so bad, blah, 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 explain blah. what happened more or less? It's very, but it, yeah, it reveals a lot of details and sort of like, also sort of what the perspectives, the different perspectives that were also going on at play that contributed, you know, to what we're, what led to like residential schools and what we see today and the issues that are still existing. Right. So it's one of those things that it's very informative and it it does really change your, your mind on a few things. And it, um, it also sort of like, I felt it humbles you too, because it's like, wow, there's so much more to know about our history. You know, even though we were still a young country, Canada, but even before that, what led to Canada is also a lot to take in. And because, you know, the Confederacy was part of that, right? Like there's a link that sort of, yeah. they kind of fill in those blanks a little bit of what led to what to led to, to what led to like Canada and then what led further into how that turned out and why we're here today. And then it always showed like a very artistic perspective from it too. So it had like a, um, uh, she was an artist and she had these big mural paintings that she did that would kind of reflect the course. It was also showed you in very different ways um, that you know, it showed a lot of culture as well, which is so amazing to see. And just for your acting as well to kind of learn more about the country and maybe different perspectives in regards to roles and performing. Oh, uh, maybe not necessarily for performing as much as it is sort of, um, you know, what uh, as an artist you want to use your voice for things for something. Hopefully, than just I want to, you know, because. But I like to put it more like off the cover, like it's playing pretend, like where you know what I mean, like playing pretend with a lot of training and a lot of skill yeah. and a lot of hard work because you got to believe what you're doing. And that's a whole other thing. Um, but it's also, you know, I care about learning about our history. And I think it, as people and as as an artist and as an actor, especially, you have to understand different people's stories. Mm-hmm. That's the point, right? You're communicating a story. 
right? That like you're you're using somebody wrote words that you have to take and you have to communicate what that means on so many different levels to people who have no idea what they're about to receive. Or maybe if it's, a, you know, if it's Shakespeare, whatever, but even like, how is it going to be seen? What is the story this time, right? So getting to know like our history and different histories and just different peoples, you know, it helps you start understanding different characters and it brings new light to things in new life, right? Because, you know, there's so much we do know, but then also there's so much we don't know. So it's also like that can be thrown into like what the character doesn't know, right? Because you also, you also have to live moment by moment as an actor. You know, you don't know that like, you know, if you're on this, you're, if you're on an episode of Law and Order and you're about to get shot by somebody, you can't just like premeditate that up and like fall over before you get shot, right? You, you, you have, and then the shock of it and then the actual, you know, you have to be in the moment for mm. it. But all, all at the same time, knowing exactly what you're doing and what moment to hit, right? So again, and you go back to the history, it sort of helps you really define that differently. And I think also knowing a history of a country can inform a history of a character. You know, if you're talking about like Parade to the Musical, for example, where it's like 1913, Atlanta, Georgia, on the trial of Leo Frank. First time I think a, a Jewish man was on trial. Deep South, right after the like. I think 50 years after the Civil War. So still a lot of fresh feelings about that, what that was. Mm -hmm. And having like a factory owner from New York coming down and opening up. Oh, and then a girl died. Okay. You know what I mean? All these levels. Like, so before we even started on the actual show we did, we like just looked at history. Like what, where did this show come from? And it's like bleak, like to what, like, like, cause you're, that's before you even get into the work, you're getting to, you just, you're working on the history. Like, oh so this was really like, you know, in the United States history is a lot, you know, considerably a lot more violent than ours in Canadian history. They, they went through a lot of, a lot more things, oh, yeah. I guess to put it simply, right? But uh, so you, again, knowing, just knowing all those things and then you get into the play and then you have to get, right? And even within a lot of work, even if it's a nonfiction or if it's like um, using a fictional thing and embellishing on it, so based on true stories, there's also like its own history within the show because you can, you're never going to be able to showcase every single bit of everything that led to whatever that situation mm. was because it's always going to be more complex than what you can fit in to like two hours, two and a half hours. So then there's almost, you almost have to learn exactly what the history was and you have to learn a, sort of a slightly altered one just so what the linear fashion of that show is just because again, you're not going to get all the details. Certain people that existed are fused into one single person so instead of like four police people that were involved with these situations, it's like one police person, mm -hmm. the police chief, who's actually five different people. But the or the, he does the actions of five different people in the sense of like plot points. So instead of that person doing the thing, he did the thing too. Mm -hmm. You know, and also because focus, right? Like people can only also when you're watching something can only fill up so much, right? So if you try to do too much information, it's supposed to be mix also slightly entertaining makes you feel things all these other elements yeah you have to sort of you know that's what's based on a true story never quite is i don't think any i don't think they can ever get the full real true story of most things unless it's well especially now in social media age but you know down day lewis probably did a phenomenal job in lincoln but uh, who knows if he actually said any of those things mm -hmm. you know it's for obviously for more dramatic effect and yeah for like, obviously what the director wants to have it but i think one good thing that acting does and i'm a huge um, stand-up comedy fan because mm -hmm. they bring um whole history and a lot of uh, issues and, and 
important uh it's important events that happen in history to light you know i know especially comics um they can just point out either like racial slurs how it's used and make it into a funny joke and i think through um laughter and people can normalize and think about what they what just said and mm-hmm. it was patrice o'neill um elephant in the room is special mm-hmm. it's one of the funniest comics but um i think he asked say like, what how do you know the white of the value of a woman mm-hmm. and he's like how long do you th- how long do you think people look for her when she's missing oh my god and then he actually made examples like who's that one girl who got killed by the serial killer like four months ago and everyone said her name right away and who's like who's that one peruvian girl who got killed like last week and no one could say her name he's like haha i got you oh wow that's hilarious because then you lie you make a joke and then but yeah it's, you think about it, like oh it's actually kind of true sometimes mm. so it's interesting how you know through um theater or movies or yeah and especially comedy some uh yeah, in comedy how people can just normalize things understand certain aspects of life and yeah and how that's how i think guess knowing the history is much better than because they know especially in comedy i'd be well read yeah because like uh using an example of that i lived with a comic for like two months two different comics over two months um, which is weird to say but true um or is it three could have been three <laughs> anyway uh and he had to he's a white guy and he had to do a jamaican festival so he got hired to do it um and he grew up in a neighborhood so he understood a lot of the lingo and he was sort of explaining the events of the night to me and he said there was another white person that went on before him and the audience was not responsive whatsoever you can tell they were not impressed or not happy and cool and then he said well he said you have to what he does is he always sort of gives an indication of like i'm here respectfully and like you know so he, because growing up he would know what exactly what to say just to get everybody comfortable so and i think that's also an important point of like of comedy or acting is sort of you know how do you also take care of that information too right by presenting it to people yeah. you know you don't want to go with the worst thing they want to say about a people right off the bat get-go if you're there as a guest yeah. right because that that could be like what well i think theater i think theater uh, with along with sam comedies at the almost gain the audience trust in a way yeah where you can't just like if you don't know the audience like especially i think in new york or boston it's like one of the most brutal places to perform because people are just harsh there yeah but it, so if you, if you suck right away people will tell you <laughs> so that so definitely uh, yeah but yeah so uh so burlesque mm-hmm. how'd you get into burlesque how did you get in burlesque okay so so i was working at a dance studio um i was the front desk and one of my good friends um I'm, i just met her well she's one of my best friends now uh kelsey uh, i had just met her i think a month or two before that at a, at a mutual friend's birthday party and then she was uh subbing a class or she was teaching a class and so we'd like chat every once in a while um, but there was this one time she came in and she kind of like turned her head to me and looked and she was like, do you want to be in a show? And I was like, what? You know, that, that doesn't, nobody, that's a weird thing to ask. Like that doesn't happen. Wait, do you want to be in a that. show? Ba-boo. I gotta ask that. What? For what? Well, was that a, well, that was the one I was playing football a couple of years ago. And one of my, uh, um, I was the elementary school friends. We actually met up later in life, reconnected. We were on the same football team and he wanted to go out. I think it was then the ranch. 
I'm like, fine. Like, no one else wanted to. Like, fine, I'll go. Like, mm-hmm. and then I was walking around. This one random girl grabbed me and asked me to shoot. She, she asked me if I wanted to strip for her friends. It's just her bachelorette party. Didn't happen, but <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. And then I couldn't find him afterwards. So, yeah, so then, yeah. Wow. So people do ask. People do people ask. People do ask. Um, and then, and she was like, you dance, right? And like, stood sure. And then showed the stuff. And because it was sort of a, it was a musical, but it was a burlesque musical. So singing, acting, dancing was in it. Um, but the added element of the art of striptease. So that's what burlesque is. Um, is the art of striptease. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of like a specific point to that. Um, so yeah, and then fell into that, did the show, and it sort of opened me up to all of it. And then Brad Puddin happened. And so it was my Mad Hatter act came. It was my first solo, I think, a few months after that. And then I got to actually come back to Edmonton for the first time to perform with it in the Edmonton Burlesque Festival's new 2018 Bunny Festival. Bunny competition. Got second place and runner-up. So that was cool. I think you saw, yeah. saw that. I was surprised at how many guys there are. There's a lot. It's because I think what it is is burlesque is a safe place for a lot of um, men and male folks or masculine folks to like. Everyone's super be sexy. Everyone's super supportive. Be- and be- that because of it, like be so sexy. Like every body is a burlesque body, Just because literally anyone. Not I would say not anyone can do burlesque. But if you really want to get up on stage and learn how to like do striptease, do burlesque, take a class. There's stuff like Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal. Like there's big hubs. Um, Calgary, I think, has some classes and things as well. So it's it's there if people want to look for it. And it's not as like there, there's the very classic stuff. So Marilyn Monroe would be a perfect example of that, or Dita Von Teese, like you know the very classic champagne glass, the Ostrichard is the like bedazzled corsets mm-hmm. and the heels. Um, and then there's a whole now there's a whole new like it's called neo burlesque. So it's a whole new wave of burlesque. And it's like there's whole Star Wars shows. There's whole like I don't think they've done a I don't know if anybody's done a Rocky show. But basically Lord of the Rings, like literally any really Lord of the Rings. any fandom you can think of. Oh, Charlie Quinn from Toronto does this absolutely wicked golem act. Like golem like, like full bur- bald cat and it is wrong because you're like, like oh my god burlesque? this is sexy like it's oddly sexy yeah it's burlesque. burlesque and that's what i'm saying because it's the art of striptease so the whole point like the difference is so i think somebody explained it to me very simply so it's not quite as simple as this but somebody it's like for when you're going to like a strip club you're paying for nudity for bur- when you're going to a burlesque club you're earning the nudity because part of it is how much you get excited about it and it's part of the story. Why am I taking my clothes off? Okay. But why is Gollum stripping? Because he's so obsessed with that ring. Now he's banging fish around. You know what I mean? Like it's, you could probably find it somewhere. If you, I, I don't know. But like, it is a wicked act, right? Like, and there's like Wonder Woman. And then there's some uh, people have done like Jabba the Hutt. People have done like. Jabba the Hutt. Like there's been, there's like, what I'm telling you. It's I don't like, think I'm ever going to go to those shows. So I want to watch Star Wars again. No, but it's one of those things where, like, it's the it's these these are smart, right? Like, these are like it involves so many different things, and it's actually fun because you're like it doesn't change the content in and of itself, but it's like how it's like fan fiction when you see all those like 
theories you see, like conspiracy theories of series, like all those like fan fictions, like, you know, like how Fifty Shades of Grey is like a fan fiction of Twilight, like that kind of stuff. Like, I mean, that was a that was just like that. But you know what I mean? Like that, if you kind of look at it that way, that's like there's already stuff already out there of probably like Luke and Han Solo getting together, Chewie and this person getting oh, there's together. There's definitely Star Wars porn. You know, b- b- porn, like, you know, like just like comics, sexy comic things, right? But that's like burlesque, burlesque is like a, is like that, except you get to go see it. And it's, it's also nice. Like I would say some of, uh, some of the comments I would get, um, and I've never taken it as, you know, some people can, you know, like, you know, it's about everybody's beautiful too, right? Like that's part of it too. But like people can still say comments. So like, it's one of those things where people are like, oh, like a, like a plus size guy is really cool. And like, again, for some people that could be a very like, oh, why is like, why is that a bad, like, yeah. but it, for me, I was like, oh, I never, A, I never really thought of myself as that. So whatever. But B, because I'm chubby, I do got, I got like a belly, belly, belly. Um, but I was like, huh. I would have never thought that like me having a belly would make certain men actually like that was cool to see. And usually it's with my Mad Hatter that really gets like a lot of guys kind of excited about it. I'm like, I'm not going to, I guess, okay, we'll see the video on, I think there's not one on um, YouTube. Maybe but like, what was it under on YouTube? I think it's Red Queen's Mad Hatter, if I'm not mistaken. Just YouTube Red Queen's Mad Hatter? Yeah, it would be under Brad Puddin. So even if you typed in Brad Puddin, you might find it that way as well. B-R-A-D-P-U-D-D-I-N with a apostrophe but anyway so that one you know and it's interesting i think because when you take a familiar character too like mad hatter everybody gets well not most people understand who that is right yeah so then i drink you know you oh my god drink the tea and then goes off goes off the rocker starts checking off the clothes and then like oh the pasty right oh oh you know and then starts tea bagging tea and all that you know so like all these things start happening you're like what but I think that's what also makes it a lot, a lot of people like excited about burlesque because it's like, I would have never thought that could be a thing. That was a compliment. That was another compliment once for Mad Hatter. It was like, it was everything I didn't, what was it? There's nothing I expected, but everything I didn't know I wanted to see. I was like, cool. Yeah, I can, I can imagine seeing that because not many people have seen burlesque, know about burlesque. So or, seeing that just opens up probably new doors, new avenues, or just thoughts that people can maybe go out and try something new, with, especially now. Where you're locked down, most people probably hate their jobs. The only you want to go to work, so might as well go try something new. Maybe burlesque. Oh, well, imagine some burlesque people make must make some money. Yeah, there's a uh, quite a few people that do make quite a successful. Like in Europe, I imagine must be big. No. Oh, uh, I think it, it made a lot more money back in the day, just in terms of like during prohibition. Um, well, not I guess. Well, yeah, there was stuff happening then, but like burlesque in like the '60s and '70s, sort of thing, '50s, '60s, '70s. There, like there was burlesque clubs, right? So there would you'd be headlining there for like two a week, two weeks, and you'd perform. I think four to five days. Well, I guess now there's strip clubs. So I guess four to five yeah. days a week, and then you know that started changing. Porn came, strip clubs came, right? That started all right. So now all these things started shifting, right? And that era and then we have it today though right but i think that's what it, it can it depends where you are right and what venues you can definitely you can make i think 50 bucks sometimes is the thing but then some people can make 300 dollars a pop right like it really depends on where it is and what somebody's willing to invest in it but also also what you're willing to like as an artist as well you sort of have to like you know your business too you have to put your worth on the table as well 
So like if you start out, maybe you get the starter rate, whatever that is. But then after a while, like why are you getting paid this X amount? So it's almost like acting kind of after earn your earn your chops, so to speak, kind of do a lot of roles. Get experience, get better, take classes. Mm-hmm. And a certain different things, yeah. Always, always like it's you should always be training. I think, and I don't like to use should a lot, but like always actively sort of contributing to your art form. It's not, and I always think even even if you're watching something, listening to something, or even thinking about something, like for me, it's not as limited as like you have to be trading. It's like, you know, art can be all around you, and you can use everything around you to include in your art, especially as an actor because you're using lived experiences to fill up you know like i might not know what it is to be a dad to go through somebody with child labor but if i had to play a dad you know what i mean like i would probably have a memory of a such an intense situation where i had to be then hold somebody's hand and be calm and you know maybe i wanted to freak out but i couldn't right whatever that is, you know and then you find it and you do it so yeah everything can sort of i think everything can be really inspirational right yeah not every single thing but I think if everybody took a little bit of time and even just looked around, even I think even sometimes when you point out what like you're grateful for, not what you don't have, but what you yeah. do have, because at the end of the day, we do already have a lot more. Oh, we have tons that we think we do. Like even if it's just as simple as like a friend, a best friend that checks in on you, running water, running water. You know, running water. You have something in the fridge to eat. You're, you're you have a comfortable chair to sit in. That actually helps your back at the end of the day after work or whatever. You know what I mean? Simple things like that. Although, you know, seem mundane and kind of throw away. They can actually be like. Because well, most people, most people want to keep up wonderful. with the Joneses and want the new and best mm-hmm. things every time. They yeah. look at what their friends have or someone rented yeah. on Instagram. Because I'm not sure if you know us, but there you can actually rent jet sets. Like movie sets. Oh, no way. And that's what they, a lot of these influencers do. So it looks like they have a, like their private jet. Uh, they run Lamborghinis, run cars, Airbnb mansions. Not surprised by that. And yeah, it's a whole industry. I know in London, England, there are like TikTokers. There's like a social media class where there's a lot of people live at a house and like they do like social media full time. They're like 18 years old. And wow. I mean, like. Yeah. It's interesting. If you world. know how to make that technology work, bam. Yeah, I think a lot of people just get caught up with other people, what they have. And kind of think sometimes, like, do you even want those things? It's like sometimes you just want it because other people have it, not because you want it. Exactly. So, Almost like happiness is sold. Like, here you go. Well, exactly. Well, yeah, that's what they want you to think. But then, happy, and then again, when you, but then when there's gratitude, it, it's nice to sort of sit with that. Because there, there was a quote about gratitude is like gratitude requires the destruction of some ego and that's what makes it humbling because you're giving thanks to something or somebody so mm-hmm. you're like letting a piece of yourself you're not giving yourself the, like you're, you have to give part of that credit away from you and give it to something else so i was like i like that quote because our egos very much want to be on top the best having all that money doing this doing this do you know so that's part of it. They're feeding our egos in a sense because it's like, oh, you want this. It's like, yeah, we all kind of like at the end of the day, a lot of us do want more than what we currently have. I think that's a almost quite a common thing. It's human nature almost. You know, that we kind of want the next best thing, we, you know. Or I mean, in certain things I think we do stop at and just because like we like those things, we'll like it those ways. But like, you know, I think we all, there's always a, 
we, we're always looking to elevate something. But I think when you pull, pull it back and just look at already what you have, then you could sort of see what you don't, when you, you can sort of let go of or what you do really care about. Like if a chair, if a comfortable chair is something that you actually go, oh, maybe that's something you invest in more a little bit. You know, or maybe if you do really care about these people that you're with, but you're not spending a lot of, as much time with them, maybe that's something to like, okay, maybe I want to commit to a little bit more time, right? And then you start changing the way you look at those things because on the, what, like, what's valuable to you in that sense. And then to tie back to acting, those are like key moments of a character. How they pick, like if a certain character loves tea, how they pick up that teacup can be so, can be like such a great, great moment of TV, of a film. And he often, sometimes those like little things do get people excited. The way somebody does a little thing. Really? Yeah. Just a little thing. I know some people can tell, I know like people in military, when they watch action films or military movies, they obviously they can be depicted or tear it apart more because they understand. And so, mm-hmm. or I know people who are smokers and watch actors who smoke, they can tell if they don't actually smoke just the way by they hold it. So, those things can make or break, I guess, not make or break a film, but can make it from a good movie to a great movie, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like something like Leonardo DiCaprio, I think when he had the bleeding nose part, I think that wasn't planned. What is it, for Django Unchained? I think so. And that wasn't planned? He just went with it? You know, it's a moment like that, that like, if you know your character so well and what they would want or could do with that moment, brilliant moment made. You remember that scene. And it was never planned. Nobody wrote that down. He just happened to go bleeding nose at that moment of time. And they could have stopped. He could have stopped. There's probably actors who probably be like, cut, okay, stop, makeup. But he went with it. And look. And so he's a great actor. You know what I mean? But that's also right. Like That's also, again, like knowing the history, knowing your character, and knowing the story you're trying to tell that it, you know, tying all, all of that together that we've been talking about. It's, you know. That's what life is, though, too. Like, what people are interested in, everything, you kind of squish it together and boom, here you go. Actors are interesting because you're almost, like, never, you're almost, like, never yourself something. Because like, you're always, like, Daniel Day-Lewis, like, I think he's very well known for basically being someone else. Like, he went yeah. to Paris for a role, and I think when he was Lincoln, or I think he played uh, Bob uh, Billy, Billy the Butcher in Gangs in New York. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he just totally immersed himself in that character, and he's only that character. And I think now he's a full-time cobbler in Italy. Oh wow! Making shoes. I didn't know that. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Uh, there was like a, in theater school, they told us about like two types of actors. I don't necessarily know if it's one hundred percent as cut out like this, but once I explain it, you'll definitely know what I'm saying. So as they say, there's the inside-out actors and the outside-in. So inside-out, definitely a lot more British actors. They're not necessarily putting on costuming to be the character. They are sort of coming from a place of like, you know, the, the queen. Like you're not kind of like, yeah, that's a specific costume, but that stuff comes out from, you know, or Meryl Streep. She definitely comes from inside out. She really, you know, gets to the, those characters. Whereas like outside in would be somebody like, you know, Jim Carrey. Still honest and still truthful and can still be very powerful. But the, the energy, the character is so big, right? The costume, the hair. And that's what he—that's sort of what he relies on, right? So there's those so those two sort of actors that do exist out there, and you can start seeing more examples, you know, just by saying this. So like Daniel Day Lewis would be the inside out. He transforms to become rather than like 
I'm going to be this thing. Or I think some people are even personality actors in a certain way, you know, like they get similar roles all the time because they hit that so well and everybody loves it so much that that's it's like almost what you want to see we're looking for. Like it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing because you're typecast because you're only, only like I think it's uh Rachel McAdams. Like mm. I don't think she'll ever get one of these powerful woman movies now because she was so well like so many of these romantic they niched her yeah so it'd be hard for no one wants no one will see her as like wonder woman or anything like that because it's not as believable the same with uh forget the guy's name but uh stifler i played stifler yeah that guy you know or and same with like some tv actors like um a lot of people from how much your mother and friends except can't get work because they're people only see them as those characters except for i think i think it's peter seagal Mm-hmm. And uh, Jennifer Aniston, right? The two probably other actors probably got movie roles outside of. Well, like uh, Buffy, I guess more unknown movies, yeah, more successful. Well, that happened with Buffy, right? So Michelle Gellar, after Buffy ended, she had like cruel intentions and then the Scooby Doo movie. But like, she's what else do we right? She they Buffy was such a big moment of cultural history in pop culture, pop culture history rather that everybody was like, oh, right. So sometimes that can happen. But then again, that's also something like I think that can also be just as great to have that, to just be that kind of vibe for a lot of things. Because that could also get you a lot of work. Like if you notice, there's certain actors that are just, oh, that guy, he's in like a hundred movies. Because he's always like that random dude that pops in as a secondary character and you love him. It's like cameos almost. Cameos, even like supporting characters sometimes. Like they're never, they're maybe they're never going to be like the A-list hot shots, Lala, Brad Pitt's, Angelina Jolie's, you know, like those people. But they exist and they're doing amazing work and they're getting consistent work, right? Because that's just as like, we do look at so fame. Like, it's like so fame. it's like Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I would say he's he's moved up. I would say he's moved up to a he's more closer to an AA lister. Why do you like think just that? based on the amount of work or he's just been just doing. because you think he's actually like got lessons in training and got well, he's that. good. He's a he's a pretty strong actor too, and he's also the lead in a lot of things, right? Yeah, right. So that's what I mean in terms of like the second year here to who am I thinking? He didn't have a strong start at all. I think he was like a not okay actor from the beginning, but then yeah, then somehow got better and he made it work. I was surprised by his comedy. Didn't think it'd be that funny. Really? Well, when Jumanji, him and Kevin Hart, I think it's the chemistry. Oh, okay. him, Jet Black, Jack all Black. yeah. I think they have a good chemistry together. Jack Black is good in that. But who is uh, <laughs> who is uh, who's probably who's like uh, an actor who you think has maybe the most depth or who has done the most roles or it's like over the times hasn't just stayed the same role and kept up with the times almost like just. Are you, are you talking about like more who I who I look at? For acting in that way? Oh, yeah. So you obviously got training and knowledge. Yes. Um, so I really enjoy... Oh, why, what am I blanking on all the names now that I'm put on the spot? I'm like... John Wayne? No, not John Wayne. <laughs> John Wayne did never. What? I'm blanking on the name. Oh, my God. Moulin Rouge. Um, Ian McGregor. Ian McGregor. Why did I blank on that? Ian McGregor, for sure. He's so, he always surprises me, too. Because he can play like heartthrobby characters and they can. He, and I know uh, he did that one movie with Jim Carrey about like the lovers yeah. in prison. Uh huh. And then so he. So I love you, Philip Morris. Mm-hmm. And then he did, um, he was in uh, Harley Quinn Star Prey, Wars. Star Wars. 
He was only a good actor in Star Wars. Most he was pretty like he's a strong. You know what I mean? He has a certain like. They need to do an uh, honesty. They need to open a movie with him in it, like starring in it. They should. I think I saw on Disney. What? Say, come on, Disney. Well, they're finally doing a storm standalone movie. And they need a lot of because I know they did Professor X. They did Wolverine. They storm. Storm needs to be one. I guess they covered Jean Grey. Okay, she, that story, they tried so many times to do that story. Like, I don't know who else. I think that's pretty much all you can yeah. do. But yeah, Storm for sure, I think, needs to be put out there because she's so, you know. They're finally combining, uh, I think, Deadpool into the MCU universe. Oh, I hope so. That makes sense. Oh, yeah, because I got to. You see, Postal Ryan uh, Reynolds said. No. He's like, first thing I'm going to do is finally kill Bambi. Oh, my God. Oh, that's I love that. I love Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds is brilliant in that role. Yeah, he's surprising too because he was almost, I guess, typecast earlier on because he's a very handsome guy and almost like an action, good-looking guy type of role. But mm-hmm. then, Arthrobby, yep. But then his comedy is another level. Because like, and for this role too, it's like spot on. It was made for him almost. Yeah, because he tried. Well, they tried him in Deadpool originally. You you remember? And it wasn't ever mentioned, but oh, it was, uh, in the in that one of the, the Wolverine, Wolverine, or, Wolverine origins, yeah, yeah, where it was a shitty oh, version that was killed him. Why? So like, I think, Giant yeah, they killed. Uh, even though I don't, he's not probably the best Batman, I think either Michael Keaton or Michael Keaton for uh, probably number one, and then a close number two would be Christian Bale for Batman. Mm-hmm. But I think Ben Affleck had potential, but I think just sometimes, again, director and different vision. Oh, like, that whole thing was... A, that Batman vs. Man could have been a two-parter for sure. But no, Zack Snyder. I think. I think so. I think even Henry, I think Henry uh, Cavill dropped out. I mean, he was probably one of the best Superman since Christopher Reeves. They, his build, his character. It's because they rushed it. Yeah. Because they... Trying to keep up. He owns it. Well, 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 but look at... Look, okay, Marvel took how long to set up Justice League? And then what? Uh, what? It's not Justice League. The Avengers. Oh my god! I'm thinking about DC at the same time. The Avengers is what I meant. Of course, I was thinking trying to make my point like about twenty year process League. or fifth, twelve. Well, year. I mean the whole arc, yeah. But I mean even just to get to the first Avengers movie, you had Iron Man. You had you had a few movies before that was even there, and then they did Justice League in like the first two po- after like one or two pops of the new people, like. It, it was one of those things where, like, if we were that patient for Marvel to give us 20 years worth of movies, you, DC, didn't, and Warner Brothers, did not need to do it fast. Mm-hmm. They could have started, okay, this is a 20-year horse. We're going to start ours now. And then they would have grown in their different ways. And I think it would have been kind of cool to have, like, you know, the Batman, the Superman, and then the Wonder Woman, and then perhaps start introducing one or two right like weave it together kind of like marvel did but again it's, it was rushed and i think that's partly what did both ben affleck and henry cavill because it's like they, there was a lot of good work there but then what happened what was going on yeah i think ben affleck got released and then henry cavill think just quit and their, really- only, and their only hope right now is wonder woman and what the hell is robert pattinson doing being batman like again, I, I'm not saying I haven't seen him yet, so I'm not going to judge him. But again, yeah. all I see is Edward Cullen. Yes, well, in, in his current body his fra- form, his right? frame isn't like well, again, like a lot of it's body transformation, right? Like 
Christian Bale has transformed his body in different roles as well, where he doesn't look nearly as. Well, yeah, I think yeah, he did the machinist. You know what I mean? Like he's done, but like he can look pretty, you know, and that's. Or but, really big. You know, or really big, right? So that's, but that's like, again, that's, um, you're, you have money to get all the trainers and dietitians and nutritionists to like watch all that for you. So you do it in a fast. What do you but, think though? I do think you'll pull it off because. Robert, Robert Pattinson, aside from Twilight, I mean, even in Twilight, I would say, but like, aside from Twilight, and the things I've seen, I mean, he's actually quite a strong actor. He has a lot of good work there. What's um, a good movie besides Twilight that he's in? Oh, what was the one? It's not even one. I don't know. Remember me? Remember me. That I think that's good. one. That way he meets, meets that girl. Yes. And he shoots dessert first. Like, he, he has good moments in that. And just clips, because I, I don't always have time to watch full things. So I watch clips of different actors. You know, or the lighthouse, very good in the light. Like the lighthouse was a, like ooh, it's a, it's a, it's like a, the people who think who made the witch, if I believe correctly. So it's like very one of those like horror movies that like is a slow build, and it, it's just uncomfortable tension, and then you're like, oh. so it doesn't necessarily scare you, but it's also more about like human psychology. Yeah, I have a question for you: How do I become Batman? Oh I think I'll be good at it. <laughs> well, I guess get the bod. Yeah, I got that basically. No, that's a lot of connections and people build into it. Like um, Henry Cavill was slated to be Superman like far before he was even old enough to do it. Because the, the casting director who ended up casting Superman remembered him when he was auditioning for Clash of the Titans. Or no, not Clash of the Titans. One of those movies with the the Immortals. It was either Clash or Wrath of the Titans. But no, no, no one of those was Immortals. Uh, so he was a lot younger. He was younger then, but like there because she they you know sometimes you have a, a sense of like okay if we reboot well, this he's the one i want and so she remembered him and then she auditioned and he clearly did and then all did all the work to bulk up and did all that well, stuff i think he has a jaw for it number one well yeah like right like you but like that was you know what i mean that could be something as like that could be set up mm-hmm. for somebody far more in advance and like depending on robert pattinson does in terms of training because of when they start filming them because they haven't I think partially why like something like Batman isn't going to be filmed or like the next sort of superhero movies can be more difficult because of all the stunts mm-hmm. and all the that's a lot more contact with people. So like I don't I'm I don't not I'm not quite sure. I, on the I think Keanu Reeves would actually be a good Batman. I think just because the training he would do for it. I think he would he would I think he wouldn't have any stunt doubles and he'd probably actually do some fight Keanu. scenes and probably be really good. He's a great actor. Keanu's a fantastic actor. Okay, answer this question. What? John Wick or Jason Bourne, who wins? My friend, that's what everyone says. But I don't know. I've been watching Jason Bourne with Matt Damon. He's pretty. He's pretty lethal. He is. But there's something about Keanu John Wick that kind. I don't know. There's something. I think it's also the choreography. It is so complex, like the fight choreography. Oh my! Like, also, like you got. I mean, so you have to have Jason Bourne against a different time. So there was a little bit similar. Not want to say simpler, but. There's a, a lot more precision in the way everything, because everything has to be so oh, fast and like fast. Uh, and on point, right? So, but back then they had, they gave more space for moments, whereas you've watched a lot of action now. It's usually very hard. Well, it's hitting. progression of film, isn't it? Yeah. Because I know everything was a lot slower. Uh, action films in like the 60s and 70s and were probably shit compar- comparatively. Just Still like some great peaks of arts, though. Yeah, I just, in regards to the choreography, you can tell like the fake punches and people exaggerating, especially in old westerns. Yeah. And so, but that's the way film was. Is people yeah. were people were learning how to film. I think before, 
the original film, uh, movie actors or I think theater actors, yeah. and they're just projecting as they're theater acting on film. That would be interesting. Or, or a lot of sound film actors, I think, were actually shit real actors because they just, I guess he said to sell and mouth the words the whole time. And then when they got to real acting, just well, some, and then some had, yeah, as movies, as um, all that has changed and film came more into, you know, and that's how like, you look at vaudeville and all those things and even how burlesque came to be like, that's sort of why, you know, they started introducing nudity to these sort of like cabaret shows as a, because people were going to see these new high tech film things. Right. So how are you going to keep live audiences excited? Well, so that starts sort of also contributed to the beginning of burlesque, I would say, of American burlesque anyway, of how it started up in those ways. And where do you and see Europe too? I guess. What am I saying? Where do you see theater, or no, not theater, but movies, like I guess the acting industry going in general? Because especially, I guess right now, there's some theaters doing Zoom shows, and there's and then there's also a lot of movies are coming straight onto like Netflix or a lot of these platforms. So do you, so do you think um one do you think the movie theater um, movie theaters are dead? Or? I wouldn't say quite yet. Um, I think it depends because the snacks have to go down cost for sure. <laughs> Probably what they might have to do now because they had to going to have to incentivize it, right? Um, I don't know. Like it's sort of hard to say because the event of going to a movie, a lot of people like no, you the know? experience and the experience in terms of the sound and the quality, and you know, you're seeing everything in a big thing. Um, so I think that's a hard thing to say, particularly like the, obviously there's still theaters opened. So I think that's also if like if they haven't closed yet, they must be surviving somehow. Well, in some province it might be open. We can just drive 24 hours to a theater. Yeah. You know, I know a lot of drive-ins were open over the summer and everything and presenting newer movies because they just redid deals and things or, you know. So I think there's a way to make it happen because there's still a lot of filming happening, especially in Toronto. There's going to be a lot. The lockdown impacts it somewhat, think, but a lot of them are still green lit to go. Mm-hmm. Because, but I think they just have to really adjust how they do it. Like it's basically because you know there's a lot of people working in one single film, right? Like there's can be hundreds of thousands. Think, could be few. It could be as little as like ten people. But it can Murdoch Mysteries filmed in Ontario somewhere. Yeah, and they have a decent amount of people on set, right? So that's a lot of people, right? But so I think it's right now, and even with those bigger shows too i think they're looking at ways to sort of still manage it so i know certain people who do film things like they two weeks before filming they isolate so they don't see anybody they don't really they cut off their bubbles they do all that stuff because it's a like, you know, table reads um or just book via table Zoom, maybe? a little bit more theater film and tv they don't necessarily do table reads well, me tv shows do the reads because they have different episodes where they don't they go also around on table and do lines uh no, no not anymore. Film no. and TV can be film and TV is a lot faster, right? You gotta you gotta be on set ready to go. Like there's there might be moments of you to rehearse with different actors, but I from what I'm recalling, there's not really not not like theater where you kind of and even in theater sometimes you don't really have a full on table read. You might have it the first day for theater, but it's not it's not it's not the same process, right? Because the the doing is the filming. Whereas part of the rehearsal is also part of the making the show happen. So again, you're kind of coming on set, kind of ready to go. You do your, you audition, you might be fitting, and then you're going to get right into it. And then the director tells you how to adjust from there. 
however they do it because mm-hmm. directors can be like I, w- I need more energy which is like what does that mean but like that can be a thing right so it's like okay you got to figure that out what that i don't know if i, don't know if I like that but right because that's also actor. part of it it's like and then you you know there's other there's other directors out there that can really under like actor speak so they can really un- be like okay i like this moment when you do this and then what about the characters bubble right and you start like having a conversation about it whereas like again other directors great at being directors but they're communi- they don't always know how to communicate certain things that they want they envision that they're vibing with the energy whatever so it's like oh i want more energy i want this or right and you somehow you have to kind of you know you have to have the personality type personality type but it's also like you got to be on your feet to be able to change those things right like and then you reshoot you do it and then you're memorizing like repeating the movement over and over again so like those are also differences like theater you have one go at it for that one night film you get a few more takes but you also have to remember all the little bits that start building how you move you know from close frame to mid frame to wide frame you know so it can take hours to do like one scene one scene right like if one day like one half hour episode of like friends or something was a whole day Jeez. right so that's eight hours and then you're editing minutes, and then you're yeah. cutting it off right and then um just speaking of something like friends like that kind of a comedy show for example what they do is um they have to like you know because they have a live audience they're mm-hmm. filming with this sort of laughing and so like even big bang theory for example so say if a joke doesn't land the punchline just doesn't work they stop and then they have to the writers come try to come up with a new one and then you do it and then sometimes what they do is like the actors the blah director blah, blah, and they all just all go in a circle and just say new punchlines until somebody hits it really good and they all start really laughing then they go back erase that line replace it with this new thing go and then you deliver that new line and audience reacts keep going if not okay then you got to keep cutting you gotta have to so it's like almost like a mix between theater and television yeah sense. like that i would say comedy can be one of the most difficult ones to pull off especially when it is like that kind of a show i forgot the well, they the t- i think tv shows in general kind of difficult to learn or at least them lasting what like, what's the average like runtime of tv shows like seven seasons six seasons eight? Oh, it depends well, i mean nowadays not <laughs> i mean nowadays not so much yeah, nowadays like, like murdoch mysteries it's a canadian watch show oh those you know what, ones you know are those you know, sort of marathony ones you know what, yeah, i know what season they're on oh no 15 that's of- incredible Especially for a Canadian TV show. Well, it's popular, right? Yeah. People I, love it. I like it. It's pretty historical. You ever watch it? Yeah. I knew a couple of people on it. It's History of Toronto. Basically exactly what happened. <laughs> it's a fun yeah. show to watch. It is. If people don't like, want to check it out, it's a Canadian show, Murdoch Mysteries, set in the early, very late 1800s in Toronto to the early 1900s. So it's pretty cool. Yes. So, um, so I guess acting or any like any leads in regards to like acting jobs. Well, you you what, audition. You, what's happening now in Toronto? Um, so most auditions have gone completely virtual because that was already sort of the direction it was going. But now everything is sort of self taping. You submit it, and then they yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And then from there, you either get called back or you don't. Simple as that. And how many? I guess. I guess productions are happening right now. Is everything come to a halt or is there some theaters doing some work? I would say the- not as much. They've managed, live theaters have done their, like I have, there's not as many, as many auditions in that regard for that. 
a lot more for film happening, especially coming up, I think, into February. There's a lot more that's going to be happening. And because of the, um, which is sort of a, a good thing in terms of actors, because that means more opportunities for Canadian actors, because typically we get a lot of American actors, but because of border rules, same things can happen. So a lot of things that might have had to be recast, right? Or there might be more auditions for newer things because now they can't use the same amount of people that they typically would from the States. So that's a, in, in certain ways a good thing for the Canadian film industry in that way. Um, because uh, Toronto was going to, be, I think they still are. It's like it probably slowed down, but ramping back up to like they have a pretty big boom. And then with Netflix investing, I think 100 million into a studio in Toronto, I believe. And then they did that whole. Yeah, I guess what's that? Submit. You could submit a like a pilot episode or something, um, right? They did that whole thing over a few months, and so that might bring some cool content, right? Like now, what is it that was like twenty twenty one? They're just supposed to pull out a movie a week that they're releasing, starting at some point. I'm not sure. It was, it was a headline I was reading, but I was like, what? So it's like fifty two movies. Imagine like boom, but a boom, but a boom, but a boom. Like they're, you know what I mean? So like. Depending, it could in that way because there's less people now, you can get things done faster because it's shorter, smaller things. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing? It all depends on the nature of the film, right? Like, it, I think, like, I know some people for Handmaid's Tale got cut because they just simplified the scene. Less people, COVID, you know? So it could be that, but it could also mean indifferent because of, again, with the whole states thing, it could be more opportunities that way, right? Mm. So it's sort of who knows and also the nature of the, um, nature of the show right if they're required to be more cuddly there's still any movies out now you know there's oh like yeah because well, all the streaming services do you think, do you think, do you think that's a potential bad Netflix. thing at all or do you think it's good because more actors are getting recognized there's more work it's it's it's, it's a double-edged sword because yes there's more work now to be had to be doing um but and on the same token it's one of those things where like once upon a time a netflix show or a netflix movie was a big deal now it's not Right, because now you can get Crave, now you can get the Prime Show, now you can get a, you can get a, now you can get a, now you can get a Disney Plus, Apple, this, right? So there's so much more content now. Then there's a lot of individual like TV channels are doing that model-based subscription where if you want like all the Peach Street TV app, like seasons or shows of this, you can get it for four ninety nine. Mm-hmm. Or- and there's a lot of now bundling, so it's like Crave has HBO and Stars and this and this, and you're sort of like. So you can kind of just keep building, right? So it also, and then sometimes that's extra money, right? So, or it is, I think, depending mm-hmm. on. And then you get all these services and then you end up, don't pick any movie because there's so many options to choose from. You don't know what to choose. And then you're paying for all of it, right? Right. Yeah. So that's interesting in that. Right? The cable is expensive. I think my cable is like 110 a month. What? Yeah. Well, because I got my base and then I added another channel because I wanted more football games. So then I have, like, an, <laughs> then I have, the zone, which is twenty bucks a month, I got my Netflix, which is like thirteen. Woof. So it does add up, and I think people I think some people don't have cable and just have the like cra- uh, the crave, the mm-hmm. Amazon. Because some of those things end up like Riverdale is on CW, but it's also on Netflix. I can't keep up with all these shows. I think I, yeah, I'm so behind in everything. Like Tiger King, I watch one episode. That's it. You only watch one episode of Tiger King. I couldn't do it. I'm like. It's a, it was okay. Like, I feel like I know. you wouldn't get into it as much because it was just its own moment of time of like 
bizarre. Plus, everyone everyone watched it so fast. Like, only told me the ending anyway. Well, you kind of know from the beginning. They sort of indicate it. Like, it's not exactly like... But it's the whole journey that it gets there. And it's... It's like, a show. Like, I just started the Outlander. Outlander. Oh, yeah? But then I haven't watched it, like, probably a week and a half. So, oh, I don't know. I have to be in the mood. And then I get out of the mood very easily. The last series I watched was Manhunt. Oh, uh, yeah. Unibomber. Ooh. Oh, damn. Yeah. I, almost, I think sometimes... I think it happens with what's I think like people with certain like cognitive conditions I, I heard like there's a study I heard if you spend certain time around them you can develop the same thing or the same traits interesting and I think partly when I watched this series I thought I was going to be crazy just because you kind of dive into the Unabomber's thoughts and how he thought and so I thought I was going pretty crazy watching that it's pretty interesting it's a very yeah, it's a pretty intense show, not like action wise, but just the whole series. Manhunt? Yeah. Ooh, I haven't seen it. It's pretty good. Did they didn't catch him, did they? Yeah. Did they catch him? Yeah. So, yeah, it was a new, basically, FBI division. It's one guy. Basically, found him via basically how he wrote. That's how he found him. Basically, his, his, his diction or penmanship, whatever. And this, the Unabomber, he actually, I think he had a PhD. I'm not mistaken, I think from Harvard. So he's actually a pretty intelligent person, but just certain things happen in his life, certain traumas, and and the way he went about things to change society was to blow up things. I think what he said may have came true. I'm not sure, just because he thought technology is going to take over. I mean, we don't know yet. I mean, it's going to happen. It's inevitable. It's inevitable. There's already trying to talk about like chips in your wrists. I think, yeah, I think there, I heard there's a company. It's your wallet, your wallet in your wrist. Yeah. You work for a company and you clock in, clock out, break time, vending machines. And then Elon Musk, I think he said within five years, something could be called Neuralink, which will, at at first you can uh, repair, like if you have, say, like Parkinson's or potentially Down syndrome. But he said eventually, if everyone has this Neuralink, then humans won't be able to talk. Like, we would be able to, like, understand each other, thoughts. And if you think about it, this is like, if you get, want to get into conspiracy theories, humans, we used to be more stout, hairy. Now we're more elongated, less hairy. And then if you look at what aliens are, depiction of them, they're hairless creatures who don't talk. And that's where we're heading. Woof. But you were going to be hairless because we don't need... Unless you're an athlete or a performer, you don't really need muscle, right? Mm-hmm. To I do mean, anything. Everything's there's a lot of on- jobs to do. Everything's mostly on- guess, automated. I guess, and depending on, yeah, what happens with that? So people are just going to become like basically <sighs> bag. We're basically bags of fluid. Wally. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'm interested, but I'm also cautious about it because like if you watch movies like Terminator. Well, they they all come from some sort of or I robot feeling of truth, you know, like you know what I mean. That people think that things will happen. Like we don't know, we don't actually know anything that will, is about to come in that sense. Well, there's always be- always people perhaps, with bad intentions. Like look at like look at so I mean like you could look at Simpsons as an example of that like all these things that I'm like he must be from the future, Macroni. He must be or it's or they don't. It's not like they have some sort of like witch or wizard or mystical person just sitting in a room writing these shows. I mean, who knows? I don't know. They could have somebody clairvoyant. But it's one of those but like it's you know, like is there is there a synergy there? Is it synchronicity? Is it a coincidence? We don't we, we, I don't we don't 
how do we actually like really know right because it, like how many dystopian different like mad max blah, 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 blah. but okay so which one is it going to be it always going to be all of them at just at different times like we don't actually know you know there it's all speculation really so yeah. i definitely think that yeah there's a w- direction that it could all go in i don't think i like the whole brain thing i like the cure thing for it's that it's definitely gonna happen though but but but, but in five years you say, well, yeah, the, no, talking about Elon Musk, this guy's build, building rockets. He's building rockets like once a week, like not a crazy pace, like once a week or something like that. Rocket ships, this guy. Woof. And uh, yeah, I think Elon Musk, if you didn't see, um, he became, he surpassed Jeff Bezos as the wealthiest person. So I think he went to $190 billion, wow. And then he said he's going to dedicate half his money to helping the problems on Earth. I, well, I hope to see it. And then, well, yeah, because he's, uh, he, if you see it, he's the one who did the, he's basically helped with the Flint, Michigan water crisis. And uh, Jeff Bezos starting to open up uh, free preschools in inner cities and in the States. Um, but uh, also Elon Musk is dedicating um, half the money to Mars for survival. Ooh, and that's, that's a whole other, like, ooh. Which is definitely happening. Like, I think a potential in our lifetimes Probably yeah, it could probably cost a couple well, couple grand. But you can go live on. You can go to Mars. I, mean, I don't know if a couple. Oh, I remember reading something where they were. Um, oh, this is where. Oh, this is where. What was it? That he was saying. There's like you could do a loan thing, which is also some. Yeah, you go alone. Yeah, but and then go you work, work, work it off. To me, that's a little. I'm. Like, well, it's because it costs so much money now. It's like I TVs. Mean, I imagine so, but like to work it off, that's like a. What does that mean? It would be like the, in a new planet. Like, like uh, what well, is there a law? Is there? It would be like the Wolfer, you, like Wolfer program. Yeah, but how would you know how to regulate any of that on a different planet? Well, then you you had to probably set up a certain government up there, probably like a. See, but that's you, what I mean. You, like how that that's what United, I'm saying. United Nations that, embassy. Will that be happened in five years? I don't know. Maybe the brain thing. Well, the brain thing would work, but that would probably be Mars. decades from now, Mars. Well, yeah, because I was just thinking, I'm like, that would be. Because work it off. What does that mean? Right? Because like, like, that's such a... Well, that could be a very... Well, situation. Or it could be okay one. But... Well, I, history, tru- I, I trust Elon. Yeah, but you also got to look at just human history. There's a lot of people that say stuff like... And then look. Just stuff. Work it off. Like, yeah, but the thing with that, though, it's uh, it's actual company. It's not really a government. So then, he, like, if anything happens, he's held liable and people won't invest in his product. on a different so. planet. Oh, but yeah. at that point... There would be a lot of legalities and a lot of signs up right by... A lot of the major countries in the world, and again, that's what we're going to do. And it'll be a wild, yeah, one hundred percent, right? Because the first way to get land there first, unless he just goes and does it, right? Like, how do you control that if he decided to go and just do it himself, right? Like, that's also what he's doing, right? Because the thing, I think, governments like sometimes they're good, but sometimes they're still a lot delayed and inefficient compared to companies. Because the thing with these companies like Amazon, Disney, well, now Tesla. They're basically accountable to the consumer and the customer. If they make a bad product, no one's going to want to buy it. So then they have to build better products, better services. Yes, there could be issues with that. I know, I know Amazon's their main goal is customer service. But then on the flip side, so I think I heard certain factories like managers basically don't care about the workers sometimes. And they can be. So there is a catch on do. I think that the main thing is like they're held to the standard where the government is like if they get money. Well, who's who's their who's their accountable to? Well, not they're accountable to us, the citizens, but they can obviously dictate the product, the mm-hmm. quality, the quantity, 
But that's what I'm saying. Like that, that's also the scary thing when the guy, when you can't hold somebody accountable. It has to be a coalition almost because of how much their wealth of their wealth, right? Yeah. And a lot of their wealth is too built on exploitation, right? Like that is exploiting your workers, right? When you look at different countries and all those all those things, and even how it affects those communities, not just necessarily the work in and of itself, but how you know those actually those products and those warehouses actually affect the community at large, right? So that's also like at what cost, right? Mm-hmm. If we're going to be doing all these things, is it, is it helping globally? Or is it helping like the people who already have? Right? Mm-hmm. And that's where the loan thing is scary. Somebody has nothing and just does, what What could you do, right? And this is regulation, right? You don't know, you don't, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's already happened on this planet. Who's to say that it's not going to happen on another planet? And we think of like how, you know, the one of the first things a lot of people, a lot of, what they a lot of did when they, you know, we're going around the world, colonizing the world, was you would send, like, you had these rich people, but then you had people who were prisoners, and you had all these things, that had to build up all these things, and, like, right, and then it, so we, right, like, that, that's what I'm saying, like, the potential of it, obviously, there, do I think it's going to happen? Probably. Yeah. Could m- most of us stop it? No, not, a, you know what I mean, like, at the end of the day, realistically, man, I could talk about all these things, but at the end of the day, as a consumeristic world, I would like to say, I don't believe there's going to, who knows, who knows? Like, and we don't even know what COVID the yeah. end of that looks like. Right. So it could be very many different ways. Right. Yeah. I so think, it's, I think for the most part, it'd be okay. I think it'll be, I think it'll be good for what? Just in general. I think, Mars? Yeah. I think by the time people actually do go up and there's actually safe travel and you're able to land there, I think that's years away. And, Thing there has has to be multiple people signing off on that, especially going out of this world. So. I would hope so. I hope so. You never know. We don't know. Again, we don't even know. Like, and like look, look, look at the states. What's happening down there? And they do, and like their government, like unfortunately or fortunately, whether we like it or not, dictates a lot of what like what happens there ripples around the world. Hundred percent. So that also could change so many things. In a blink of an eye, or absolutely not. We're like, you don't know. So I think that's also like, it's also so weird to think about all these big ideas, but also under like we are in this such an unknown state of existence right now. What's life? But like, I think I think everybody's so used to. I think like something like a pandemic that's so unexpected that nobody would ever think of. I wouldn't say nobody. There's people that how we're like watching these things, but you know what I mean, like. When you think of it, like everybody thought like, oh, I'm going to have this job. Like that's what you th- kind of expect with life. Like I go to day to day, I'm going to do my thing and then I go home to my family and then I'm going to do this. And then, and then sort of just sort of, like, and then, then your older grandkids, like, right? Like there's a lot of people that follow that sort of train of thought that this is how life is going to go. And then something like a pandemic is like, well, we actually really don't know what life is going to do, whether, you know. Well, we're just in a, we just got into a good stretch of life. Like yeah. life's actually pretty, well, in a sense, pretty harsh. Like if you compare it to like, all the plagues in Europe and and, p- and people just dying of diseases prior because there was no medicine. People didn't understand. Well, people died, San- you know, very young. Yeah, yeah. The and now people are living, well, sometimes people are living too long. You know, <laughs> like living past 100 because te- technology is better, medicine's better. So, yeah, I think we just got a, got in a good spot where life was good and there wasn't really any like kind of world wars in the sense where every, every country was on standstill while there's major battles like for the most part, like the economies were pretty good, especially in Canada. Like people the most had, civilized. Yeah, most civilized. Probably the best. Now uh, maybe I don't know. 
like probably the best uh, quality of life in terms of like what you access to comparably to before. And yeah, now the pandemic came and people, and then people realized it didn't matter basically if you're rich or poor. I think it's oh, poor or less money. I don't know how to phrase that. Pro- I don't know if you can phrase it poor or rich or whatever, but like for, I know for me, like I just take my health more seriously than ever now. Yeah. And I think hopefully people do that i think people take a look at them like okay hey, what are my foods i've been eating and what vitamins do i take vitamins and, and i think they, there was a thing in the united states in some hospital i think they found people with covid i think 94 percent are vitamin deficient vitamin what vitamin d deficient uh-huh. because of the sun right in winter time we don't get it. so people need a supplement vitamin d will it help necessarily with contract with not getting covid Maybe, maybe not, but the more health you can be, the less chance you be more susceptible to getting infections. Mm-hmm. And I think that also like sort of what happened with COVID too. I think people, the shock of it, you know, I think we, there was choices either towards like realizing, oh, I, maybe I do need to be more healthy in certain ways, or there's a lot of things I got to actually deal with emotionally and mentally. Oh my, like I have deal with this mm-hmm. right because there's time right now you're sitting with your thoughts now you're kind of remembering certain things or you're sort of digging deeper into your mind even and then i think some people but there's a whole a lot of people on the flip side like i want to go back to normal and it's like normal the way you're thinking of it is probably not going to happen because even if it gets back to a similar place it's still going to be different because of what this has changed right so i think that's also like almost like a denial thing almost if you like, if you haven't been changing, mm-hmm. if you haven't been sort of moving in some way, and it doesn't like, and it doesn't necessarily mean, oh, like all of a sudden you've gotten this great thing out of it, you're hundred percent healthy. Like even maybe even if it's just it's recognizing you're missing something, or that you should add something, or that there's a pattern you're following in your life that maybe isn't the healthiest. Like even just the recognition of it is a start. Yeah. Right. And I think you, and I think that's also like going back to the point of gratitude earlier. It's like. Even looking at what you have already helps sort of begin that process. Oh, okay, like I got this, I got this, I got this. Okay, what do I think I need right now to make this better? You know, or oh, I don't need this thing. Maybe I can, you know, sell it, trade it for a thing, right? And that's also a thing like, what's cool about now, about COVID too, a lot more people have been just like trading things because it's like, here's a box of masks for this. Here's a thing, a thing for thing. Here's, I don't need this. Here's a thing. You know, and even like, you know, Bun's trading groups and, Facebook marketplaces, like there's trades happening all the time. It's not just not necessarily just monetary. Something that, that that's cool, or even trading in terms of services, like I'll do a coaching of this for you. You do my hair, right? Like there's certain things like that, which I think is sort of that's expanded, I think, because people have no like the lack of money. Yeah, I hope so. But people, you see fitness going prices. Oh yeah, because now everybody oh, wants to outrageous. wear it at home, right? Yeah, uh, so online. The cheapest I found for two forty-five pound weights and a barbell was about four hundred ish. Four hundred. I'm not sure if that was including shipping or not. What? And some bars were like four hundred just for the bar, and some some websites. So yeah, people for are, a steel bar. Yeah, people oh. are helping anyone now with fitness equipment. I got my. Uh, I had a friend here in the dojo, and he had to shut down. Can you get me fitness equipment for like fifty bucks? No, I can Good see stuff. like, like, like dojos, like jujitsu and judo, those types of things, 
being limited because you're basically definitely on top of people all the time. Mm-hmm. But gyms, I'm not sure why they close it. I think especially now where I think, oh, yeah, it's not nice. So people can't really go out. Well, no, it's kind of nice, but yeah, very weather dependent. But especially a time when people need a place to release any anxiety or anger or just escape. I think gyms are one of the best places to be able to just mm-hmm. get, get healthy, get fit and take their mind off of what's going on in their life. And I think with the, with the gym, what, cause I got the gym I work at, they had mandatory masks even when you're working out. Yeah. And I think that would have made the difference. Like if just a lot more things were done with masks in mind, I think that would have changed things. And like, we would usually give people, disposable masks because they're easy a little bit easier to breathe through than a cloth one um and then i don't know it was like somebody was like a fitness of fitness somebody or other and they're like well it's actually not unlike going to like a higher elevation and working out it's the same workout your just lungs are working harder you know so that's for me i was like oh that's i wouldn't have known that really Mm -hmm. that wearing a mask like and it is harder and it is uncomfortable i would say for a few days but after a while you sort of get used to it and it was sort of like, oh, that's actually, that makes sense, right? So you could still do the thing, right? Because like when you're working out, that's when you're like, that's when you're doing the most spitting and things going. And then like, that's you contract the damn thing. Walking by somebody, just breathing to myself, I don't, but if I'm, you know, and you, there are some grunters, you get people who spit while they were, you know, because they're just in the thing, in the zone. So like, to me, it was always like, why mask would make sense? Like, even while working out because it's you can still work out with a mask on yes it is harder but i think that again that just would have made the difference in terms of like even just the look of it all right like if everybody was wearing masks more often what would have that looked like i think for numbers too like i don't know could have done the same could have been different but it's I just like one of those things, just like our gym being the one, one of the few ones that didn't have to close again after they opened them up because of those things. It was like, okay, why don't we, the only difference is our members just had to wear masks the whole time. Whereas like within the first week, there was like a handful, like six, seven good lives that just shut down right away because of COVID case was found. Right. So it's like one of those things where I'm like, even that shows, you know, yes, less people, but also like the limited wearing of the mask or just wearing a mask makes could make a difference and it did because we didn't shut down mm. it just that's just a more personal mm. example of that regard, mm. right yeah i just wish they would i guess be more precise in regards to where the cases are coming from because i know they shut down certain places or certain industries where there's no cases or no cases originate from that and then people again are being forced to go home and can't work not because of themselves because they're being told not to and it is weird because like of how certain things like schools and things where you are more confined for spaces. Um, it's, I don't know how productive it is if we're supposed to all be staying home. If you have some people there, some people there. And I do understand the mental health aspect of certain ages of kids having to be sort of at a different place. Like I do understand that as well. So there's that aspect to think about. But there is, a, there is some contradictory information. And I think... Also, the thing is, is nobody really knows what to do with this. Like, this is a brand new thing for everybody. Even the people who have studied forever on these things, they're not prepared for this. Like, I was reading something, they interviewed a nurse, and she's like, they, they don't teach you what it means to be a nurse in a pandemic. That's not something you ever yeah. look in any syllabus, in any book, in any... They don't... They, there's nothing you can teach on that because, like, what Spanish flu, but even they didn't necessarily write that stuff down, like, the stress of that. And it's so different now, right? So it's sort of like... 
even somebody who knows what this is or have studied medicine or health or whatever on that level, yeah. all of a sudden you're at this point, you have no clue, right? So that's probably scary and there's a lot of high stress in that regard too because you're doing on what the, you get the information trickled down, right? Mm-hmm. And based on your own knowledge of the science behind all of it, you only are able to behave a certain way, right? Like there's only so many things you can do. So I think that there's a lot of confusion around that mm-hmm. also. Um, and I honestly also also think we could have been a we could have got on it faster. And because everybody was so willing to do it early on, I think if we extended it longer or had it it more more lockdowny, I guess to put it simply, rather than reopening so quickly, um, that's like something like if we did waited till June to really start because that's when a lot of festivals happen. That's when a lot of summary things start really going going yeah and things happening it could have been a very different kind of summer because if we because we were i think they were, oh, people were a lot more patient people were willing to do it yeah well i think that was a difference too of what we're seeing now like people well, were willing to do the work to make this go away i think originally though no one knew what the this pandemic was and the virus was so i think everyone was scared mm-hmm. and, and was willing to lock down i think now I think because of just the overall experience and I'm not saying it isn't a terrible virus or disease, but I think what people are saying is in regards to the death rate and the amount of people who have passed compared to how many people have recovered. And again, the contradictory information as well. I think I think I would say like before I would say we didn't know. I think now I think the reason why people are frustrated and probably have a lot of distress distress with the government is because there should have been some, I guess some learning, some more just a better handle on things because again with the contradictory information or regulations um gyms were closed but personal trainers are allowed to go to home to home to train their clients which is kind of like like gyms even though maybe some cases may have been contracted there they're probably clean cleaned and more clean than someone's home typically would yeah, be. How would you, yeah unless they have a gym at there yeah complex and then you don't know if someone just recently got covid the train goes and goes home to home so it's again where's the like where's the limit and then like with like i guess i guess you can see curfews but like you can't go past a certain time like why because covid like more rapid then i understand maybe for restaurants and bars but i think certain things i know i know definitely in the states um i guess this is my view on things and how they should have been done um, from like listening to certain podcasts and seeing what's happening. I know in the States, I'm a bit, definitely in movie productions, they have rapid testing, right? So you can t- know in 15 minutes, not four days if you got COVID. Mm-hmm. And I know as a country, we're going to a deficit regardless, right? Because the government's giving $1,000 checks to every Canadian. And I know we don't have the money. You know, I think Alberta was the only debt-free province before this pandemic. And now... We're probably going to be in debt, but we're already spending money to close down basically the economy. I think partially what we could have done before locking down again is have rapid testing everywhere at restaurants, at movie theaters, at theater performances. And then, and if obviously if you buy in bulk, the cost is much less. You maybe include that on your bill or your ticket price or whatever. So then you make reservations like anything. So everything is reservation based. You go there 50 minutes prior, you're waiting in your car, you get tested. I'm sure you could train a few people how to do these tests safely. So again, you increase more jobs. 
And then that way people get tested. Hey, you're good to go. Oh, you have COVID, go home. So then there's a be more checks and balances in place. So then it was almost like a tier system where, okay, then if that didn't work, we're doing all these more, we're doing more testing, doing more contact tracing. And again, I'm sure, like, have you gone to the restaurant in Toronto when they first reopened? No. So I went to a place, no one asked, no one got my number, right? So no one really did temperature checks. But then when I went to do a class recently in December, it was a class of four. When we we're in class every day with temperature checks. Right. So if I think we did more checks and balances, I think we could have a more open, more open, I guess more open economy, more open, more people have to have actually a more sense of normal. Cause then people would actually know if they had sick or not. People will know. So I think there could have been but again, yeah, so you, like I guess I'm playing arm, I guess Monday, was it armchair quarterback, like just critiquing from the chair. So again, I'm not mm-hmm. in a position, but I think there, I think also part of it, sorry, I'm just rambling here. I think it's also a power thing. I was going to say, because like in terms of like any government that is to do this is will be slammed in whatever next election for spending all that money. Yeah. And depending on the effectiveness of it. And like the thing about Canada, what which is very different from the States is our population just so small and it's so spread out. And we have what I think the second, third biggest landmass in all the world. I think second after Russia. Um, that it's it's there's so many things that like to in that aspect, uh, in that regard, like to have a greater population of more people to do the work. Here, are how many people are willing to do, switch over these right? Like, and that's also. A, Things some people are not willing to all of a sudden take these janitor jobs that are now available because cleaning is a big deal, right? Like you got to some people aren't willing to, yeah. right? So it's it's one of those things where, the, and sometimes those same people will complain about things being slow, but they're not actually going to go out of, to do it, right? There's a few people out there like that. For sure. So it's like it's one of those things too that you we had to look at it in so many different angles, and again, it helped, like you said, power. Like it's a, it's a, pol- a big political thing. Um, like in the gym I worked, there was somebody came by and um, it, but it's a gym. It's a pretty, uh, I want to say ritzy gym or bougie gym, if you want to put it. It's like, like for, a um, boutique higher, gym. Higher class people, people who make more money. A lot thing. of businessy folks and some, you know, like if there's like Dufflet Cakes, for example, certain companies like that. Um, um, I don't know how. <laughs> um, and then... Um, or like certain things like like certain people like of that high caliber, like people who own all these companies, or at least like on some level that like, that's just like a company that I've talked to my head that I know somebody who works with that company, you know? Yeah. So then people, they're making some decent money, but like they were, this one person was talking about um, that I think their partner or somebody they're on, they do, their thing is infectious disease and that people are already looking at it before we even started hearing about it in the news and we're like going to like different political parties liberals conservatives and people and basically we're all rejected because it was like oh we can't use that yeah keep the economy open on so we can't right because and so you imagine if like we did that here how many other countries had that some sort of warning how many of these people or governments didn't do anything which for me on, on, on a certain point i'm like i would even if I say no, I would still do something. Be like, let's check on it, mm-hmm. right? That's where I think I'm like, 
it's weird to like this these big you know you again also also a lot of movies you see that too yeah governments never listen or this thing doesn't yeah. listen all of yeah. it's everywhere for all the well stupid things trump's done especially recently i think he was one of the first people at least in north america to was like hey we need to shut down our trial i think he said originally from china and then because he's such a poor as a figure everyone's like trump wants to shut down our borders and lose money with the, the and I think Joe Biden criticized him, but then later on he's like, "Yeah, we should have closed down sooner." So I think, yeah, it's a lot of. I think yeah, part like part partly with this now is not these premiers and now the um, prime minister. They never had this much power before. Like mm-hmm. the, all we see in every province and every state is the the governor. And that's it. You don't see any other. When the states is different, there's yeah. certain states are very open. Yeah. Well, like Florida, I don't think Florida, I don't Florida. think Florida ever closed. That's a different country now. You got a whole other. That's what I'm saying. Depending but on Texas, like for example, you get tests. Like they do live comedy shows in Texas now, so you get rapid tested. You can go to a restaurant like a normal person. Um, I think Joe Joe Rogan is now creating a new comedy hub in um, Austin. I think. Well, that's the thing. Because LA the- LA is done. Like I think California and Hollywood. I think that's might be. I don't well, know what's going to happen. Down quite a bit there. And there's a. They're still filming some things. But it's pretty shut down otherwise. I think there's a like mass exodus out of out, like I think it's L.A. or California in general too. Because again, a lot of artistic I think I think yeah. yeah, I think Governor Newsom like he basically told people like go home, you don't go out. And then he was at a restaurant, got caught at a restaurant, like twenty people at a table, no masks. Ooh. I think Nancy Pelosi, um, yeah, shut down all these hair salons, and then she went to go to hair like hair salon to get her hair done. Um, another person, L.A like i caught going to a restaurant but she said she's because she was telling her favorite restaurant that she was sorry for shutting down restaurants that's what was her excuse so i think a lot of you know, of course there's a lot of these mlas and politicians well, when traveling when traveling and it's yeah. across the political spectrum too yeah, it's right not, it's 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 on the far right, from right to left to like all and over the i'm sure a lot of these people are something. nice people but again as i think it's human nature that if you have Hundred percent power. It's hard to give it up. Well, it's not even that. that right? It's like people. I think what people need to realize too, and I think what is also kind of foolish with certain things that people say. Also about going back to normal, it's that like to realize the people who have, they're always going to have. Resigning doesn't bar them from having. Well, they, yeah, they can just resign from their like title or whatever. Yeah, but that doesn't mean anything, right? Yeah, like, they, they have their have, money like, still. That's you, the that thing. doesn't ma- that doesn't matter. Like it's almost like it's also a waste of people's anger. Like, why are you angry at that? Because I'm like, yes, it's a piss off. Cool. But that person, that family will still be making a good amount of money for a very long time. And your anger isn't going to change that. Them losing that position isn't changing that. Right. And that's why I'm like, unless they're going to be like, you know, so it's, a, it's almost like, a, like an impeachment, but yeah. like a smaller version where you can't come back to a government position anymore. You're no longer to be able to be within that work. That's a whole other level because you're losing a whole bunch of money out of that. You're losing influence. You're losing, right? So if we're, if, but slap, like that's a slap on the wrist for not wearing them, right? And that's what I'm, I'm yeah. sort of like. I think, I think they're, uh, especially the, like, the premier, I think one, it's like you had to ask how many of these, like, of course it's their job to do what they're doing. But I think how many of them said, hey, like because so many people are losing money, I'm going to take a 10% pay cut or 20%. Or, or I think another solution, I think I heard this on probably Joe Rogan's podcast, is like maybe like the government's money, like people in the government who 
work for the people. Maybe their money should be tied to the economy. So if the economy goes up, maybe they make a bit more. But if it goes down, then... But that's also the interesting thing about like a more conservative sector that talks about that because it's no government, less government, but then money, government, right? Like, and then all these things start winding down. You're like, well, then that's there's a certain influence and balance there then, right? Because that's a, we want government to be like this, but we want, don't want it like that. And it's a very difficult balance because it's like, well, if you want a healthy beginning for healthcare and education proper, that's not necessarily... That is a little bit more on the socialist scale. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. So that's that's also the things to look at is like if we're if you're asking the a lot some of these people to like more particularly in the states if I were to focus on that they're not going to give it up because then that means oh we can't be we can't be communist can be this blah blah blah, blah. like they're not going to give up their own wealth. Yeah. Right. Like they're not going to give that all up just to equalize it into blah 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 because they've already made their thing. And I think here. I'm not as in tune with here. I find it well, we're because we're so paid, we're so focused on the state so much mm, for all of, of it. Course. And I think until Joe Biden's in, I think for a while it's still going to be quite a focus on the states. Unfortunately, well, yeah, what is he going to do? Who knows? Right? You know. So, so here, I think it's just like yeah, it's like we're we're at a sort of. Uh, I think we are slower in certain aspects, but I also think as like larger population too like again like i feel like if 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 there was a bigger period and more focused period of time to have been in and if that was really dictated to us you know in a certain way of like this is how it's going to go for a three months period we got this boom i think it would have have been very different and i think again as i think that we would have been found more community with it because i think the part the part of this not this on this that this but this the individualism gets in there and then you're like, well, I want this and I want this and that. And everybody just starts going off. Whereas like, again, the focus at the beginning was more, okay, we are in this together to keep this down. Right. And I think that would have changed so much to for now too. Oh, 100%. And I think, and then also in terms of even moving forward to like, I do think, yes, there still needs to be a lot of careful, careful. We still got to be careful. Because again, we still don't know what it is. If the mutation thing, what those things... If there's a second one, if there's a third one, again, we do not know quite what will happen. Yeah. We have a prediction that the vaccines by next fall will have a greater population vaccinated. So by 2022, if you really think about the full picture of the majority. 2022. Again, if you think next fall, two or three months away, that's already January 2022. Think of September 2021, September, October. It's already two or three months away from a new year. In terms of the vaccination, right? If you really think of like, and when I'm saying greater number, I mean like it's already started. And you, I know a few healthcare people who've already gotten it. But if you think of the entire population, what does that look, right? And so what does that mean with the lockdowns? What does it mean with this? Are they going to change in terms of the government assistance? What does that look like, right? Because of the way CRB is now, for all going to lockdowns again and doing all this, is that really 900 bucks? Again, depending where you live too, that 900 bucks. Some place like Toronto, every two weeks is like yeah, nothing. You can get by other yeah. places with it, but it's again, it's like it's it's one of those things. It's like, what do you do? I think there's gonna be a lot of system change after the pandemic. Well, we, so I, so. I think like our food system has to change because if you've seen the initial lockdown, because certain factors had to be shut down, we can only buy like what one portion. Like depends on your diet, of course. We can only buy one package of meat. Like, 
again, like that's a huge shift from you can buy any as any quantity you want to one because there's only so much to go out. Mm-hmm. I know there is a way to do um, sustainable farming, but it just need to be a lot more smaller farms instead of these one being massive. Because then, um, and then I think government in Canada has to change in regards to voting potentially. You know, because again, prior to Trudeau getting in. He mentioned that the voting was going to be more equal across the entire country. Yeah, because it's very Montreal. There's a lot more people, but it's very Montreal, and Toronto focus, um, Ontario focused. But well, what, what, it, what, what it would have done? Because right now that's what it is. It's focused on the rioting system, which is more ridings because a greater population. Yeah. So what it would have done? It would instead of focusing on that aspect, it would have focused on okay, how many votes did each party get? Yeah. And then how does that div- divvy up? So that's where it's more balanced because instead of just taking, but I don't think he's doing it though. No, oh no, right? no, no, no. So, he, he already retracted that, right? Like that's that would that was like that's like I don't know how many years ago that he already. As soon as he got in, that was one yeah. of his things. So right, so, and, but no government will do that, right? Because conservatives, to, there were a few conservative ones that mentioned it, and it just never happened. But yeah. be, at the end of the day, because for liberals and conservatives, which are basically well, two sides of the same coin, really, um, that they. Again, if they give that up, who gets more power? NDP, potentially block, just because based on number of votes, right? NDP would have gotten more seats in the election. Liberals would have had less, conservatives would have more, but NDP would have had a bit more too, right? It would have, it would have, again, it would have balanced it out. Liberals still would have had it by by a much smaller yeah. margin, and NDP would have had a little bit more presence, you know. And that's the that's the interesting part is that's what it would do, but. But then that also gives a potential for NDP getting a lot more support yeah. to overtake them. And I think that's where, at the end of the day, why neither conservative government or liberal government really wants it to happen. Because they're always the one sort of rallying, right? They're always like, it's going to be you, it's going to be me, it's going to be you, it's going to be like, see, and it just see, keeps that's going change as well. It's, it's almost like, it's again, a version of the states. Yeah. Like not as, maybe not as polarized. Well, I don't know if they're as polarizing as they seem, but it's not. It's basically the exact same thing, which is like. We you know we need a difference. I think in our systems and the way we ran things have been decent for the amount of times that they've been around. You know, for people back then to create a political system to work uh, like a new whole system of government that never existed to a way it works now has been pretty pretty good for what for the amount of people who are educated and, and resources. But I think now it's time for a change because times have changed, society is changing, and. I think we got to a point where we don't need a certain party, certain really ideology per party to get us to prosperity. Because I think we're at a way, area where we're all basically prosperous. We just need to fix the holes, fix the gaps in terms of the certain social programs and lifting each other up. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's going to be one party. I think it's going to be, has to be a coalition of people in order to do that. But will it happen? Who knows? But in this lifetime, time, yeah. Is there. Anything else you think you want to talk about? Anything you want to cover? Anything on your anything mind? Anything you want to add to this? Yeah, just in general. Just in general? Yeah. Oh I guess we covered a lot. We did cover a lot. I guess again, you're just like, going to end on a gratitude note. Thank you for having me again. Thank, Thank you for me. listening to whoever's listening because you're taking the time. So appreciate that. Right. And it's like, again, it's like even something like that already, mood changed. Right? Like even just saying thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting me. Thanks for supporting my brother. Mm-hmm. Thanks for supporting us. It's a podcast. Like that's an amazing thing mm-hmm. to give thanks. So I, I yeah, I just really think that going into 2021, that's what I hope a lot of people take in. Is like just look at what you have. 
first before we really need to begin buy happiness. There's probably a lot more happiness right in front of you. Most likely. Well, that's a good way to end it. Thank you for being here. Thank you.